Thank you so much for coming. It's good to see your face here. I want to tell you a story, and I'm going to say a name, and it's not going to mean much to you, but it means a lot to Jesus, and it meant a lot to me. The lady's name was Louise Wagner. She happened to be a person in my first church. She was an older lady when I went there, probably in her upper 70s. I don't know that I've met many people like her. Shortly after I was there, she was confined to a nursing home due to a health issue she had. And I would go visit Louise frequently and talk to her. Never did I go and see her that I didn't walk away more blessed than I was when I first went. One particular day, she was moved into a wing of a nursing home and I wandered my way through and finally got to her room. And as I walked in, she was a, a, a tall lady. She was about six foot two. And she was laid on the bed. She had lost total use of her legs. She couldn't stand. And she was looking out a window. And it was a sunny day, and I walked over to the edge of her bed. I said, Miss Louise, how are you doing today? And she looked up, and she said, Oh, I couldn't be better. Now, by the way, that's a great way to have a visit. And I said, Well, I am glad to hear that. I said, You know... A lot of people here are not very happy, so it's good. Oh, she said, Preacher, I am so happy. She said, I know what Jesus has done for me. So I sat there for a moment, and I said, Well, Miss Louise, tell me what he's done for you. And she broke out in a song. And she liked to sing Amazing Grace. And she began to sing that song, and you could hear it go through the hall. And then she said, And that's not all. And then she started quoting sections of my passage today in Romans chapter 8. So let me just say to you today that the passage we're going to look into is a life changer. And if you'll make this part of your life, it'll change your life too. So I invite you to turn there this morning as we think about our new life that we have in Jesus. And by the way, we do have new life. Zach quoted a wonderful scripture this morning. I want to quote another one to you as you think about Romans chapter 8. And it's in 2 Corinthians 5. You don't have to turn there. I just want to read it to you because this is like a springboard off of Romans 8. Paul writes uh, basically 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You are a new person in Jesus. Well, what does that mean this morning? Well, yesterday, God woke me up early. And by the way, the older I get, the more he wakes me up early. You ever see it that way? It's like you're wide awake at 5.30 and you should sleep till 6.30 or 7. But you're like, okay. So, so I got up yesterday morning. I'd already had my outline for the week. And here was my outline of Romans 8. It was a contrast. Because there's all these contrasts going on. I thought this would be a great way to preach it. It's the contrast between the wretched man in chapter 7, where Paul says, Oh, wretched man that I am, you know, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord who gives us the victory. It's a contrast between the wretched man and the man who has no condemnation. Those two verses, 7.25 and 8.1, are back to back. What a wretched man, and this man now has no condemnation. And then Paul talks about the spirit of life versus the power of the flesh. Every believer in Jesus Christ has living inside of us the new life of Christ, and we do not have to give in to the flesh. We can allow Him to help us and enable us to have victory. That's a contrast. Good to see you here, Gary, by the way. We've been praying for you. There's also a contrast between the spirit of slavery and the spirit of adoption. We are not sons of sin. We are sons of God. We have a new father. And so there's this contrast. And then there's this spirit of fear versus a spirit of a child of God. What a wonderful blessing. God has not given us the spirit of fear and the spirit of slavery. But we are children of God. He also compares present sufferings that we go through in this life with the future glory that God's going to give us in the future. He talks about present groanings that we experience. Just like creation, we groan. Waiting for what? We wait for this future redemption that God's going to give us. And then Paul talks about the present sight that we have. You know, we look around, we look within, and we see all these groanings. 
And then Paul talks against that to the future glory that we're going to see. We'll be part of it. What a blessing. Another contrast is the human weakness. We don't know what to pray. God gives us a spirit, the spirit, and what does he do? He prays for us in our weakness. When we don't know what to pray, he prays for us. And then there's a contrast between a human perspective of life. Oh, poor, is, poor me, you know, we, we do this, we're all human. Why am I going through this? Why am I suffering? The human perspective versus God's perspective, which is, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Uh, God has a plan. We don't always see it, but as his children, we have to understand that our Father knows what's best in our life, and he'll give us the strength to live through it. And that was Miss Wagner's verse. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God. Not all things are good, but all things will eventually work together for good. Remember what Paul argued? The greater the suffering, the greater the glory. And so he knew this truth. So here are contrasts. What a message that would have been. However, however, as often happens, I woke up and I came up with a new outline. And I said, Lord, I'm going to go outside today and work. And after I get through cleaning the garage and getting all that junk done, if you want me to use this new outline, I will. Now, he didn't come and say, yes, use this. But I was convinced this, this was a better one for Romans 8. And I'll, I'll show it to you in a minute. But here's the point. Romans 8 has been said to be like a diamond. Now, just stare at that diamond for a moment. What angle do you want to look at? I mean, you want to talk about the size and the shape of the diamond. You want to talk about the cuts in the diamond. Would you like to talk about different pieces of glitter that are inside the diamond? Uh, how do you explain this beautiful piece of a diamond in one or two sentences or paragraphs or phrases? You, you can't because it keeps getting deeper and deeper and every angle that you look at it, it changes. If you hold that diamond up to the sun, it changes the way light comes through it. I mean, it's just something that is very hard to explain and put in words. Romans 8 is exactly like that. It is difficult to narrow it down and say this is the best explanation of it. So what we have to do is just sit back and admire the diamond. Some people have called Romans 8 the high water mark of scripture. It's definitely the high water mark of the book because Paul has been laying out in this book God's wrath against man. And by the way, we were part of that. All have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Thank God for justification. God declaring a sinner righteous in Jesus by faith. And Paul gave two examples of that faith in chapter 4, Abraham and David. And then Paul talks about Jesus' work in our life through his spirit. Now that we're justified by faith, we are free to live for him. And he talks about overcoming the power of the flesh in chapter 6 and 7, not by saying that we have strength, but by yielding to God's spirit within us. We have a new spirit in us. It's his Holy Spirit. And when we feed on the word of God, the spirit of God helps us walk in the newness of life. We do not have to give in to the old ways of the flesh. We are new creations in Christ. And so Paul talks here in chapter 8, very interesting, that there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'll talk about that in a moment. But he ends the chapter by saying that there's no separation from those who are in Christ Jesus. Not only does God not condemn us, we will never be separated from him. Be another good way to preach this book. No condemnation, no separation. However, it seems like that this section is highlighting for us exactly what we have in a phrase that's also in verse 1 and verse 39, and that is, in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no separation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? Why is there no separation? Because of your new relationship, your new life in Christ. Christ Jesus. Now, if you want to know what that means, you should turn to the book of Ephesians, all six chapters, 
because that is the book that talks about what it means to be in Christ Jesus. So all of Paul's letters build on each other, but here he is going to introduce the blessings that believers have who are in Christ Jesus. So I listed it this way, five advantages in Romans 8 that every believer can enjoy in Jesus Christ. Five advantages. The first advantage is we have deliverance from the flesh by the power of the Spirit. Now this is a summary of what he said in chapters 6 and 7. We do not have to give in. We have victory. This is a wonderful truth. And Tom Constable actually writes this, that a Christian must believe that he or she has permanent acceptance with God before that one will grow much in grace and godliness. Now, don't read over that too fast. What he's saying is, you have to have certain knowledge. And the knowledge is this, is that you have permanent acceptance with God because of what Christ has done for you and your faith in him. You have permanent acceptance. And until you settle that issue of whose family you are in, you probably are not going to grow very much in your grace and godliness. Now, if you're like me, when I was a young believer, I struggled with whose family I was in. I would think for a moment when I would hear a good sermon that I was saved, but you know what would happen? I would do something or say something, and I would look at myself and I would say, there is no way that I can be saved. I've, I've lost it. And here's the problem. Every time you look within, you're going to find weakness. But when you look in Jesus Christ, you will find righteousness, acceptance, and no condemnation. And thank God he doesn't look at us for our salvation. It's what he did for us. And when you understand that you have put your faith and your hope and your trust in Jesus and his work on the cross, and he has given you his righteousness... And God has declared that you are as righteous as Jesus and you are his child and he's put his spirit within you as a guarantee that you belong to him and he's going to raise your body from the grave one day in resurrection life. When you understand that truth, that transforms the way we live. We are no longer in the family of death and sin and the devil. We are in the family of God. We're a child of God. He has made you an heir of Christ, a joint heir, an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ. You're in his family. You're in the will, if we can use terminology here that we understand. This is the blessings that we have. And, and as a child of God, the first advantage he's given you is the power over the flesh. Okay, let's look on the screen. Or you can look in your text if you want to. I'm going to work my way through this chapter because it's all meant to be read together. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now notice there's a period there. What does that mean? That means that God does not now, nor never will he in the future, condemn you. He will not do it. And Paul later on in this book is going to say, who in the world is to condemn? It's Christ Jesus that died and is raised again. Who's going to condemn you? He is the judge. God the Father is the one who has declared you righteous. Christ has given you his righteousness. God is never going to condemn you. Now, by the way, if you read the verse right before this, Paul just gets through saying, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ who gives us the victory. Now, believer, there is therefore now, because of him, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, that's a good place to even inside of you go, Thank you, Lord. No condemnation. Believer, set your mind at ease. In Christ Jesus, you've put your faith. God will never condemn you. I can tell you that not because I think that. 
I can tell you that because this is what God says. This is what he says. So put, put a little mark beside that, and the next time you feel condemned, go here and read, well, God is greater than my feelings. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, period. Whatever your past, whatever your struggles, whatever you have in Christ Jesus, you have no condemnation. That's a whole sermon. I could preach on that, but i got to go, okay? Now, now Paul's going to say, because there's no condemnation, there, there's a couple of laws that work against our flesh, and the Spirit overpowers it. There is no condemnation. Let that sink in. You do not have to give in to the flesh. You don't have to. Notice what he says. For the law of the Spirit of life, capital S, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law, catch this, might be fulfilled in us. Now what does that mean? that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us? Well, what did Jesus do? He came to this earth. He lived his life without sin. He died to pay your penalty of sin. He gives you his spirit to live inside of you to enable you to do what? To walk in victory. And this is Paul's argument. You, and because of your relationship with Jesus, and when you yield to him, chapter 6, Paul says, when you yield to him, you will not give in, and this righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled in us because of Jesus Christ. Now notice what he says. For those who live according to the flesh, uh, I'm sorry, for those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now as a believer, and I know this may seem difficult, and by the way, Paul uses the word law in three different ways here. He uses the word flesh in a couple of different ways. It gets a little tricky through this chapter. But here's basically what he's saying. As a believer in Jesus, you have no condemnation. But let me tell you something. You're not a robot. You can live in the flesh. Now, do you remember what Paul said the wages of sin is back in 623? It's death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus. Now, as a believer, what do you want to set your mind on? You want to walk in the flesh? It's, it's going to result in something. Not condemnation, but it will result in what? Just what Paul said. Believer, you don't have to live that way. This is what he's saying. Now notice what he goes on to say. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. And if you want to know what that is, read Galatians 5. Or go back in Romans chapter 1 and read what the flesh sets its mind on. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh, let me interpretively read here, will result in your death. You set your mind on the flesh, on immorality and so forth and so on, trust me, it's going to get you. But Paul says, the one who sets his mind on the Spirit it results in life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile toward God, even in a believer. It's hostile toward Him. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it can't. Now notice what he says here. He's going to switch here to a believer. Those who are in the flesh cannot please, please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, what does he mean here? By the way, I could spend a whole week talking on these first verses to flesh them all out. But once again, here's the summary. In Christ Jesus, God has given you the deliverance through the Spirit's working in your life and you yielding to Him to overcome the power of the flesh. 
If, in fact, you have the Spirit of Christ in you, you're a believer, you can have deliverance from the power of the flesh. What does he mean here, though, when he says, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him? You know, there are some teachings that say that you, you trust Christ as your Savior, but you don't have the Spirit. You get him at a later time through an experience or so forth. Paul smashes that. What he says is, if you are in Christ Jesus, you have the Spirit living inside of you. There is no second blessing per se. It happens immediately. You are placed into the body of Christ. That's called baptism. In your body, there is an indwelling of the Spirit. At that same time, you are sealed with the Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1, what is the Spirit of promise? That the Spirit who seals you will one day raise your body, just like Paul says in Romans 8. All kinds of blessings of the Spirit. But Paul goes on to write, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Every one of us as believers know what, what is happening to our body. What, listen, what is happening to our body? Every day that you live, believer, you are dying. You're dying. Stop denying that. But let me give you some hope. Although your outer man is wasting away and getting older, you have something living inside your spirit that will never die. And that is what Paul says you are to yield to and what you are to submit to and what you are to live for because that spirit who is working inside your body which is dying is a life-giving spirit which is one day going to raise your body in newness of life. You see, the Christian's answers and ultimate hope will not be settled on this life in this earth. It will not. And what hope that we have is the one who is living in us because, folks, this is not it. This is not it. And so this is what Paul is basically saying. Yes, your outer person is fading away, but inside you is a life-giving spirit who is one day going to raise your body. Now, Paul's going to talk about this a little bit later, but here's the point. Because you have this life living in you, do not give yourself to the flesh. Overcome it. If the spirit him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. How will he do it? Through his spirit who dwells in you. That, my friend, is called hope. Though the outer man is wasting away, the inner man is being renewed day by day. 2 Corinthians 3.18 We're being renewed. So, what is our second advantage that we can enjoy in Jesus? Well, the first one is deliverance from the flesh by the power of the Spirit. The second one is a new relationship to our Father. Do you know what family you belong to? Listen to what Paul says about our new relationship to the Father. So then, brothers, we are debtors. Amen? I mean, look at what God has done. We have no condemnation. We have His Spirit of life living inside of our mortal body. And based on all the truth of Romans all the way from chapter 1 up to 8, because of that, you're a debtor. We are a debtor. We're in debt to God. Not to work for our salvation, but because of what He's done for us, we are debtors. Listen, not to the flesh. To live according to the flesh. To do whatever pleases us. That's not what we're, in de that's not what we're a debtor to. Instead, He says... If you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you'll live. 
For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. This is our family. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear or bondage, you could say. But you have received the spirit of adoption as, y'all say it with me, sons. The spirit of adoption as sons. Do you know what adoption was in Rome? It was not you go down to the orphanage and you adopt someone and they come into your family. That, that's relationship. Adoption in Roman terms was where you take a child in and they receive part of the inheritance and the blessings and they actually get to enjoy all those blessings. By the way, that's where when Paul talks in the next section, we're heirs of God and joint heirs of Christ. Every Roman knew exactly what he was talking about. You have received the adoption of sons by whom we cry, Daddy, Father. We have such a relationship to God the Father through Jesus that we can, Paul says, call him Dad, Daddy. That is a term of endearment. I always worked on my kids, you know. I tried to beat Karen. It was always one of my boy's first words. This is pure selfishness. I was in the flesh. I'll admit it. And dad, dad is so much easier to say than mom. And I'd work with them. Dad, dad. I thought, I hope nobody ever gets me on camera here because I look like a dad, dad. But one of the greatest one of the greatest feelings in the world is when, when your child looks up to you as a father and says, Dad, hey, Dad, I love that. Hey, Dad, will you, will you help me? My, my car is tore up. <laughs> hey, and and what, what does a dad do when a son asks him like that? No, take it to the garage. What, what does he say? He says, sure, I'll, I'll help you. Of course I will. Now, what's Paul saying to a believer? When we cry out and say, Father, Dad, I need help. What do you think he does for his children? He does what any good father will do. He helps them. Notice what he goes on to say. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. We belong to him. And if children, guess what? You're an heir. You know, why does God tell us not to live for the world? What, what is the world, by the way, the world system? How does the world system think? You know, get all you can, can all you get, sit on the lid and you know, get about the rest. Why, why does God tell us not to love money, not to love all this? Other? Why does he tell us that? Because for a believer in the next life, are you hearing me? Y'all hearing me this morning? Everything that's God's is Christ's, and everything that's Christ's is ours. So don't fight and claw for it in this life, trying to hang on to everything you can. Instead, do what Jesus said and lay up treasures in heaven. You know, you hear people say sometimes, you can't take it with you. Oh, yes, you can. Yes, you can if you invest it properly. We're heirs of Christ, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Now, you know, sometimes when you come across Scripture, you just have to stop. And you have to meditate for a moment, or you'll read over this, and, and how can you forget this? You are an heir of God. When I was at Piedmont, I worked for an, a law firm. I've told some of y'all this story before. And, and this particular law firm handled big estates. In other words, when somebody was worth millions and millions of dollars, they would go to this law firm and pay them thousands upon thousands of dollars to handle an estate. And I would sometimes get to go in that room 
whenever they would read the, the last will and testament of whoever. And sometimes these people would sit in there and read it. You'd look around the table. Everybody walked in happy. And some people walked out really sad because they thought they were going to get a lot. And they got very little. And sometimes they would even state in their will why someone didn't get something. Because they did this and this and this, you have been removed from this and this and get nothing. You know, but, but hear me for a moment, and I'm just putting this out in the context and saying that the way we live our Christian life will largely determine how we live in the next. Now, there will be no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, but the reward level will be different based upon what we do and how we respond, how we serve, what, how do we use our gifts, do we live in the flesh or do we yield to the Spirit? So we can't fool ourselves to think that, you know, well, I can just, no condemnation in Christ Jesus and live however I want. Paul said, no, 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 no. We are an heir of God and a joint heir of Christ, but what we do in this life does matter. And yes, he's our father. Notice what he says, you're heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we also be glorified with him. Very interesting. That's why we say all the time, suffer well, believer. Sometimes God may put some on your plate and you, can't, um, you don't know why. He's giving you an opportunity for future glory. But listen to me, it takes faith to believe that. And remember what Paul said in Romans 1.16? Faith to faith. Faith that saved us, faith to live out the Christian life. This is the message of the book of Romans. There's another advantage, a third, that every believer can enjoy, and that is this. We have a new outlook on life. What, what is our new outlook that we have on life as a child of God? Well, Paul writes this. Now, now think about him. He's already told you you're an heir of God, a joint heir of Christ. He says, I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy or not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. What does he say? To us. The present suffering that we go through in this life is not worthy to compare. It's not worth comparing to what we're going to get. So don't expect it in this life. We are living this life for the next. So Paul writes that the same thing's true when you look out in creation. The creation waits with eager longing for what? For God to redeem your body. Nature is waiting on the sons of God to be redeemed and have their glorified body. That's what Paul's writing. The creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, will a tree ever die in the new... Don't ask crazy questions like that. No, it won't. It won't. There'll be no death. We think creation's beautiful now. Remember this, folks, it's in bondage, just like your body. It's in bondage. But one day, your body will be set free. You'll have a glorified body, and so will creation. Now notice what Paul says. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth, even until right now. I mean, we know that. Storms and all earthquakes and all all the other issues that go on, creation was subjected because of the fall of Adam. But it's going to be reversed. Paul says, and not only the creation, but we ourselves. And every person that suffers could say, amen. 
we who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. See, we haven't started really fully enjoying what God has for us, but we're waiting for it, aren't we? And what is this wonderful truth, Paul says? It is the redemption of our bodies. Now, I said this a few weeks ago. I'm going to say it again. When you're young and you're healthy, you don't really think about what it would be like to have a redeemed body. And, and let me tell you something. That's why God lets you get old. That's why he lets you suffer a little bit in, in a body to long for and to hope for what is to come. Because when you're young, and I don't mean this in any insulting way, when you're young and when you're healthy, uh, you've never experienced what it's like to have agony. But the older you get, the more God eases that into your life. Aren't you thankful he didn't just dump it all on you at once? But it eases into your life, and it causes a believer to long for and look for our future hope, which is the redemption of our body, which is what God gave us a down payment for by giving us the Spirit. Now Paul writes, for in this, in what? In this hope of the redemption of our body? In, in this hope, we were saved. I mean, the same hope that you placed faith in Jesus is the same hope that you have to actually trust in this because you've got it all as a package deal. When you trusted Christ, this was part of the package. Now it's part of learning what the package is. You didn't know that, did you? Now hope, Paul says, that is seen is not hope. God's not going to show you what it's like here because if he did, it wouldn't be hope anymore. What would it be? It would be sight. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, what is the result of that? We wait for it with patience. I should preach a whole sermon on that phrase. Waiting for it with patience. The longer I live, the more I realize that life is largely a long string of waiting. Waiting. It's a whole sermon. You wait. You wait to get married. After you get married, you wait to have a child. Sometimes that takes a long time. And then after you have children, you wait for them to grow up so that you don't have to change their diapers and feed them. And then you wait for them to get out of the whiny stage. And all of during this time, you're waiting to get a job. And then you're waiting to get promoted. And you're waiting to retire. And you go to school and you're waiting to get your degree so that you can wait to get another job, so that you can wait to retire. And after all that's over, you're old. And then you're wishing you could go back and enjoy that young youth body with the wisdom that you have now, but you can't. And so God does that on purpose. And you know what happens when you get older? Then you start waiting for the redemption of your body and welcoming Jesus to come. You know, when you're young, you're like, Lord, please don't come back now. I want to marry such and such. I want to have a family. I want to do this. But the older you get, you're like, Lord Jesus, come today. This comes with age. It comes with wisdom. And it's called life. And Paul says here that as we're going through this waiting, we are to have our hope, which is desire with expectancy. This is not wishful thinking. It's a desire in something certain with an expectancy that's going to happen. Paul gives us a fourth advantage, and that is we have a new place in God's plan. Now with this in mind, with all these these advantages that we have, Paul writes something that's going to absolutely shock us. He says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. What is our weakness? We lack patience. We want it to happen now. We want the redemption. 
And he says, what does he say? He says, the Spirit helps in our weakness, for we don't know what to pray for as we ought. Do, I, do you give it to me now? Do I wait till later? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Thank, thank the Lord for that. He prays when we don't know what to pray. Here's another thing Paul says we know. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose, what's His purpose, by the way? To conform you into the image of Jesus. He does it in our life in different ways. Some of us He lets suffer more than others. Some of us have to wait longer than others. All, you know, we're all different. We all have different lives. Don't compare yourself to somebody else. Be thankful for what God gives you. Endure well, hope well, wait well. Because we know, Paul says, we know all things are working together for good. Not all are good. But eventually, they're all going to work together for good. Notice what he says. For those who he foreknew, he predestined. He, he made a decision beforehand that you are going to be conformed to the image of his son. And if he has to bring something in your life to conform you into his image, he'll do it. He might make you drive a Ford so you break down all the time. You have lots of, not, maybe it's a Chevrolet. <laughs> Could be a Chevrolet, by the way. God may bring things in a believer's life to cause us all kinds of issues. Suffer well. It's a test. What did James say? Count it all joy, my brothers, when different trials and temptations come upon you. Why? It's a chance for reward. Suffer well. Don't grumble. Don't complain. Be a Louise Wagner. Be a Louise Wagner. Preacher, God's blessed me so much. How can I complain? I was thinking I could give you a bunch of reasons how. See, she was teaching this young man something. She was setting her mind on the things above, not on things of the earth. She knew it was temporary. For those who he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Here's family language again. Jesus is the firstborn, and what are we? We're the... We're right after him. We're his brother. And those he, he predestined, he called. Notice all these are past tense. And those who he called, he justified. And those who he justified, he also glorified. Wow. So Paul says, because of those truths, by the way, and that's a whole chain of a sermon there, you have a new security as a believer. And what is that? I memorized this verse. This whole passage, I memorized it. Uh, if this is the truth, that God's going to make you into the image of Jesus, He called, He, he glorified, what, what shall you say to these things? What are you going to say? Well, hallelujah is a good one. It shouldn't be one. Then if that's the truth, I'll just go out and live how I want to. No. What shall we say to these things? <laughs> well, Paul says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Who? You say, well, you don't know about this. Listen to me. If God is for you, who can be against you? Nobody. Nobody that matters. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You're an heir of God, joint heir of Christ. You don't think he's going to give you what he wants? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Here's a good one. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who? Who? It is God who declares you righteous, believer, so stop letting the enemy whisper in your ear. Who, who is to condemn? 
Who's the condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died, and more than that, He was raised. You're going to get a body like His. And He's at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Now, did we not hear that the Spirit was praying earlier? And now you have Christ praying? I mean, you've got the Godhead in your corner. Or let me put it more biblically. You're in the Godhead's corner. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Who? You say, well, I can probably do it myself. No, you can't. No, you can't. Paul goes through a litany from earth to heaven. Listen to what he says. He says, shall tribulation, I mean, shall trouble in your life? The screws get tightened so much that you say, God, I can't believe you do this to me. How can you do this to me, God? You know, believers throughout centuries have done that. Read Psalms. God, how can you let this happen to me so much? God's a, he's big. He can take your whining every now and then. He lets us complain to him. But shall trouble separate you? Nope. How about distress? Get down in the dumps. By the way, uh, do you ever get depressed? Join the crowd. We all do. By the way, depression is a part of life. Distress is a part of life. Every person goes through it. Quit thinking people live on the mountaintop all the time. No, they don't. They get down in the valley. You just don't see it on Facebook. All you see is the peak. Shall distress separate us from the love of Christ? Nope. Nope. How about persecution? Nope. How about if you starve to death? Nope. How about nakedness? You don't have any clothes. You don't even have a stitch. Poor as a, they used to say, a church mouse. Nope. How about danger? Or death. Sword, death. That means from somebody else or yourself. Nope. Can't separate you. Paul writes this, as it is written, for, uh, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. By the way, what Paul meant by this was the apostles were being persecuted so that other believers could look at their life and go, now if God lets Paul and all them go through that and he's taking care of them, uh, he'll take care of us. We're being persecuted all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to the slaughter. Nope, he says. Nope. In all these things, we are super conquerors. That's literally what the word is. It's not more than. It should be translated super conquerors. We're not just a conqueror. We're a super conqueror through him who loved us. Now notice what Paul says. I am sure neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, nor anything else in all creation, in case I missed one, Paul says, will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Believer, I say this sitting right there with you this morning. Do we really realize what God has done for us? Do we know how blessed we are in Jesus Christ? You're not going to see all those blessings in this life. That's what hope is all about. This life isn't it. There was a story told recently about some missionaries. This has been told over and over. They had lived over on the far sea, way across the world, they had served their whole life in obscurity. And as they finally got their tickets, they were having a terrible time to get aboard a ship. They finally got aboard a ship, and they got stuck down in the bottom of this old big boat, and it was cramped quarters, very tight. And they came across a rough sea, and it was just rocking and carrying on. And they would get to walk out in the hall every now and then just to stretch their legs. And this one missionary reported that they could hear people upstairs in the lounge who were in first class, who were, they called it dining and carousing. And the wife of this missionary 
man started looking at her husband. She said, this is not fair. She said, here we have forsaken all of earthly riches and we went over there and served God and we get stuck in a hole while all these other people up here have lived their whole life for their flesh and, and we're down here, we're get, we got the wrong end of the deal. Well, to top it off, when they finally got to the port, there was this big, huge band and big ceremony waiting for some of these high-class travelers. And they lined the streets and had trumpets. They let them go off first. And by the time the missionaries got out on top of the boat to leave, all the crowd had dispersed. And the wife looked over to her husband and she said, See here again. We don't even have not one person from even our church came to see us. They went to a hotel room and she was just letting him know that she was really discouraged and disappointed in God. And the man, as husbands oftentimes do, didn't know what to say. And so he said that he began to pray. God give me wisdom. She's right. We served in obscurity. We had no, no commendations on, even on the way back. There was no one here. There's no reward. Did we just do this in vain? And the man said, God answered him. Answered him right in his heart. And finally he looked at his wife and he said, Honey, God has answered every question that you have as to why. And she said, Well, what is it? He said, Here it is. We're not home yet. We're not home yet. Believer, you're not home yet. But we have a home. Jesus called it the Father's house where he's going to prepare a place for you and he'll come again to receive you unto himself that where he is, there you shall be also. Always. That is his love for you. I hope you know him this morning. I hope you know him as your Savior. If you don't, you can put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for your sin. You put your faith and hope in him. He will never disappoint you. And believer, if you're hanging by a thread this morning and you're discouraged and you don't know why, listen, you're not home yet, but you will be. Father, thank you so much this morning for your word and the riches that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. I pray that these truths will sink deep into our heart and that we will live our life with patience and endurance and hope, knowing that you are truly working everything for our good and for your glory. So help us to be those who yield to your spirit, submit to your way, and allow you to have your work in our life. And let us thank you continually as Louise for the blessings that we have in Jesus Christ. We are truly a blessed people. And thank you for giving us your word, this beautiful diamond that we can just gaze at and even get lost in the truths of what you've done for us, what you are doing in us and what you will do when we see you again. Help us to finish well. We ask this in Jesus' name.